Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time with us, uh, I want to welcome you guys. My name is John. I am the lead pastor here. I want to welcome our at-home audience. This is exciting that for the first time in what, maybe seven weeks, we finally have a live stream at 1030. I know you folks are on there, so welcome. We hope to see you guys soon one day when you're feeling comfortable. Um, speaking of the live stream, I just want to kind of put this out here. On Friday, our tech team, they came here at noon and we're here all day till 6.30 trying to get all of this set up and the air conditioning was not on. It was, I, when I showed up at 5.30, because I come in at the end, I'm like, how's everything going? Everybody doing well? Yeah, thanks for showing up. It was 84 degrees in this room. It was disgusting. But thank God, you know, let's give one of these guys for doing this. And because there are people all over the country wanting to tune in and we're not able to. So thanks to them. Thank God this is up and running. So we're excited about that. Anyway, today we are in week three of this series that we're calling The Road Ahead where for the next couple of weeks, we are taking a look at the life and the journey of Paul the Apostle, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament. And as I've been saying, we like Paul around here. We look at Paul pretty much every week. He's got a lot of good wisdom. We think he's really helpful in helping us understand Jesus and beginning to apply Jesus' teachings to our life. But one of my kind of greatest fears about this whole thing is that if, if we don't know Paul the person, if we don't know Paul personally, then we can begin to think of him as just a guy who writes quotes that we throw up here on the TV. And so this series is our attempt to put ourselves into his shoes, to see the world that he saw, to see what he saw, to experience what he experienced, meet the people he met with the hopes that this might begin to bring a greater richness to the scripture, that we might begin to understand at a deeper level why he wrote what he wrote and perhaps even when he wrote what he wrote. So last week, if you were here, and if, even if you weren't, I'll recap it real quick. We looked at a really interesting story in Paul's life. Um, at the very beginning of his second missionary trip uh, through the Holy Spirit, God um, sent Paul into the city of Philippi, and Paul began to just preach the word of God. And one day he ran into a girl who was uh, um, possessed by a demon, and that demon gave her the powers to tell the fortune, and so Paul set her free of that, exercised that demon. Well, great for the girl, bad for Paul, because that landed him in jail. And when he was inside that jail, wrongly accused, God, in order to sort of help the situation, sent this enormous supernatural earthquake that effectively destroyed the jail, knocked the walls down, opened up all the doors, knocked all of their handcuffs off. If you wanted to escape, you could escape. But in that moment when the dust was everywhere, when the doors were open, the Roman pagan jailer thought that Paul had escaped. And in that moment, because he thought his prisoners had gotten out, he was about to kill himself. And out of love and compassion for this one man, Paul decided not to leave. He said, no, nah, I'm here. I'm here. Don't kill yourself. And because of the love and compassion of Paul, this man asked a question that nobody expected him to ask. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Certainly caught Paul off guard. What made him ask this question? We don't really know. We know that Paul and Silas had been singing worship songs, so maybe he, they were singing something that prompted this question. Maybe this Roman pagan jailer had been contemplating salvation at some greater level for days or weeks or maybe even months. Whatever the case may be, Paul was, was perfectly positioned to answer this question. And so he looked at this pagan Roman jailer and he said, believe in the Lord 
Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And in that moment, this Roman jailer became a Christian. He invited Paul and Silas back to his house where they preached the gospel and the rest of his family became Christians. And we saw that around three in the morning, these guys had a big party celebrating the fact that for the first time in their lives, they knew Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. It was a beautiful story. And if you have interest, I would go back and listen to it or go read it for yourself in Acts 16. So this week, as I was looking at Paul's journey and taking a look at the scripture, I was trying to decide, where's our next stop? I mean, if we're following Paul's journey around the Mediterranean Rim, where's the next stop? And it dawned on me that having spoken about the Roman jailer last week, we are perfectly positioned to have a conversation about what would have happened in the life of that Roman jailer as a new Christian when Paul would leave. Because Paul would go around, he would create new churches, he would help folks come to Jesus, but then he had to go. He, he had more work to do. So what would, go, what would happen when Paul would say, sayonara, it's been real, good luck, Godspeed, you're on, you're on right now. What would happen to these new Christians? Because as joyous as it was to see pagans or Gentiles, as we'll call them, come to Christ, as exciting as it was to see Jewish people realize that Jesus was the culmination of everything that they had been looking for, the road ahead with Christ wasn't always smooth sailing for these people. So to examine this early Christian experience, we're going to take a look at something that Paul wrote, and it's called the letter to the Galatians. We just kind of call it Galatians. But this is a letter that Paul would have sent to the churches, the house churches in the area of Galatia. Where's Galatia? Well, we don't really know. We got, a, we got a rough estimate. But what we do know is that this letter would have been sent to every church and every sort of Christian gathering um, to any group that Paul would have met prior to landing in jail last week. Now, let me tell you a couple of things about the letter to the Galatians. This was the very first letter that Paul ever wrote. This is the first thing that he wrote. This is the very first letter. And chronologically speaking, this is the very first book, if you will, in the New Testament. So what does that mean? A lot of times we look at these early Christian experiences and we think that we're exactly the same as they are, that we're having the same experience as they had, but it's kind of different because these folks, our Roman jailer buddy, they didn't have the Bible. I mean, they had the, the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament. They would now have the very beginnings of the New Testament with this letter, but all they had was the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and a couple of stories that they were told about Jesus. So let me set the scene for today before we dive in. Paul travels around the Mediterranean. Every town and every city he enters, like he did last week in Philippi. He began to preach the word of God. People would come to Jesus. He would start these little house churches. The Greek word is ekklesia, little gatherings. And inside of these churches were two distinct groups of Christians. You had Jewish Christians, and you had Gentile Christians. And Gentile is the word to describe anybody who's not Jewish. So let's take Downton Harbor Church for a second. If Paul had started this church, that would mean that this half of the room, you guys came from a Jewish background. This half of the room, you guys came from a Gentile background or a pagan background. And our Roman jailer buddy, he'd be over here with you guys. Now, eventually, as I said, Paul would have to leave. Paul would have to continue on his journey to plant more and more churches. And when he left, 
That's when the problem started. Now, I don't want to say that a vacuum was created when he would leave, but in a way, a vacuum was created. Because when Paul would leave these churches, another group of, let's call it missionaries, would come in right behind him. And they had a name. That group was called the Judaizers. Now, it looks like it says Judaizers, but it's pronounced Judaizers. And Judaizers were Jewish Christians. And we kind of use the term Christian with them a little charitably or maybe even loosely because as we're going to see today, they didn't really believe everything that Christian theology sort of teaches, but we call them Jewish Christians. Now, this group of Judaizers, they struggled to let go of the old Jewish ways. Primarily, they struggled with letting go of the law of Moses, and they struggled with fully embracing, not just embracing, but fully embracing the message and the teachings of Jesus Christ. So unlike Paul, who, as we learned in week one, believed that the law of Moses made him right with God, and then when he met Jesus, he realized Oh, no, in fact, the law does not make me right with God. My relationship with Jesus makes me right with God. This group of Judaizers, they didn't buy that. See, they believed that if you wanted to be made right with God, you needed Jesus plus the law. Now, this had major ramifications for folks, particularly Gentile folks over here. Because this group of Judaizers would come in and they would say to you guys, they would say to our Roman jailer buddy, hey, listen, if you want to be saved, no, I know Paul told you you were saved, but we're letting you know that if you actually want to be saved, if you actually want to be made right with God, you need to become a Jew first. Got to get you over here first before you can come back over here. This was the false teaching that was infecting all of the churches that Paul had planted. And if this false gospel as Paul will call it today, was allowed to take root, it could completely derail the Jesus movement. So here's something I want us to realize before we dive in today. All of us, no one's excluded, all of us could fall into the trap that we're going to read today. Might not be the exact trap, but if you begin to look close at your spiritual experience, and we're going to do this at the very end today, you might find that you're doing very similar things that this group was tempted to do. So Paul finds out about these Judaizers, and he fires off the very first letter he's ever written, the very first letter in the brand new Testament. And here's what he writes. I am shocked, stunned, okay? I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Jesus Christ. You are following a different way. Remember we talked about how Christianity used to be called the way? Paul's saying, you're following a different way that pretends to be the good news. Why is the G in the end capitalized? The word gospel that we use actually means good news. So he's saying, you are following a different way that pretends to be the gospel, but is not the gospel at all. He's like, I can't believe what I'm hearing. I literally just left you guys last week. What's going on, jailer, buddy, Maximus, whatever a Roman name is, okay? We had such an amazing moment in that dungeon. What's I can't believe that you are about to follow a different gospel than the one that we talked about, the one that we celebrated. He goes, you are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, the one that I shared with you, let that person be cursed. So 
needless to say, Paul's not happy, okay? And what we're going to see today is why he was so not happy. What we're going to see today is why it's such a problem to blend theologies as this group of Judaizers were hoping folks would start doing. Why it can't be Jesus plus something, it has to be Jesus alone. I'm going to give you a warning before we kind of jump into this today. And I did this at the first service. Um, Today's going to be heavy lifting for you folks. I'm glad you got an extra hour of sleep because you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna need all the energy you have. Because if you go to the gym, today's leg day, okay? It's heavy weights. It's a lot of work. But it's got massive, massive ramifications for our faith. And if we can begin to understand what Paul is about to tell us, it can change how we view God. And it can change how we understand our relationship with him. So the letter to the Galatians. It's Paul's one big argument against these Judaizers, talking about why if you are someone who follows Jesus, you no longer have to follow the law. And I'm going to show you his closing arguments. So in chapter 5, verse 1, he kind of concludes it all by saying this. So Christ has truly set us free. And when he wrote this letter in Greek, he actually wrote for freedom... Christ has set you free. So when someone repeats words a lot, you got to kind of zone in on those words. And so we have to ask the question, freedom from what, Paul? Freedom from having to earn your way to God. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from condemnation. It's the freedom from the law of Moses. He's saying, if you've said yes to Jesus, you have been set free. Now, now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Don't get sucked into this idea that as a follower of Jesus, you also need to follow the law. Don't get sucked into the idea that once you become a Christian, you must continue to work to make God love you. Don't get sucked into the idea that you need to do things to make you right with God. He continues. He says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this, in case you've forgotten who's writing the letter this whole time. I, Paul, tell you this, if you are counting on circumcision, we'll get to why he's talking about that in a second, but if you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ, he'll be of no benefit to you. So why is he talking about circumcision? I mean, this is the first time in the church, and it's like, you're like, why? oh, where did I come? Okay, the reason he's talking about circumcision is because if you want to become Jewish, and remember, These Judaizers are saying, hey, you guys over here, Gentiles, you got to come Jewish first if you want to get saved. The first step in becoming Jewish is getting circumcised. If you want to obey the law of Moses, the very first step, the starting point is getting circumcised. So they would go to our Roman jailer buddy Maximus and say, hey, listen, buddy, I know you thought you were right with God, but if you really want to get right with God, you got to get circumcised. That's the beginning point. Paul's got no problem with circumcision. I mean, he himself was circumcised. He would have no problem that the vast majority of people, it's not a problem for him. What is a problem for him is the reason why they were getting circumcised. Because if you Gentiles over here, if you're going to get circumcised in order to become right with God, what you're really saying, whether you realize it or not, is that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't good enough. That, that when Jesus sacrificed his life on that cross, it was insufficient to make you right with God. The point he's trying to make here is that you can't add to Christ 
without subtracting Christ. Because Christ is either everything or he's nothing. You can't have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of something else. Because when you add to Jesus, you actually remove Jesus. And so by getting circumcised, by following the law, what they're really doing is rejecting the free gift of salvation. You're trying to earn it. And so Christ is of no benefit to you, Paul would say. He continues, I'll say it again. And whenever somebody repeats themselves, you know it's important, so you want to tune in. I'll say it again. If you are trying to earn, if you're trying to find favor with God, and let's be honest, aren't we all trying to find favor with God? If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. Now, this is very important, what he's saying right here. Because these Judaizers, what they're saying is as they're making this new blend of Christianity, they're going to our pagan buddies over here, our Roman, Gentile, brand new Christians, and they're going, well, you guys are only required to do some of the laws. All right, we're gonna get you circumcised. Uh, we're gonna have you skip shellfish. And um, you know what? Let's not mix fibers. Let's stay away from polyester, okay? We're going to obey some things, but we're not going to obey everything. We're going to do a little bit of the old, and we're going to do a little bit of the new. We're going to do a tablespoon of Jesus. We're going to do a teaspoon, maybe a teaspoon and a half of Moses. And Paul's like, eh, not going to work. It's not going to work. Because if you're trying to make yourself right with God by obeying the law, and it sounds like that's what you're looking to do, you got to do the whole law. That's how this game works. It's either all or nothing. You can't just get snipped and call it a day. That's not going to count. That's like saying you're vegan, but you eat eggs. Well, that's not what a vegan is. It's either all or nothing. He continues. Four, if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ, pun intended, okay? You've been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Let's talk about what Paul is saying here, and then let's talk about what he's not saying here. Let's talk about what he's not saying first. When Paul says that you have fallen away from God's grace, he is not making an argument that Christians can lose their salvation. It's a big fear for a lot of Christians, that they could do something or say something, and all of a sudden, that's it. They've lost their, their salvation. And all of a sudden, they and God, they're not good anymore. It's not what Paul's saying here. Let me, let, me, let me set the record straight if that's a fear of yours. Using sort of Paul's conversation that he's having today, let's say this. We didn't earn salvation by our behavior. Here at DHC, we believe that we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. That you believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died for sins, that our behavior, our actions, our work had nothing to do with our salvation. Remember what we read last week? Paul wrote these words, that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that clear. We did nothing to earn our salvation with our behavior. So we can't unearn with our behavior. Because if you could lose your salvation, that means that what Jesus Christ did on the cross wasn't good enough wasn't enough to keep you safe. That if it's possible to lose your salvation, that means it's actually up to you to keep your salvation. Ipso facto, it's Jesus plus you. 
And according to Paul, it's got to be Jesus plus nothing. So what is Paul actually saying here? What he's trying to get at here is that if you're trying to make yourself right with God after you've said yes to Jesus, you've fallen out of the system of grace and into the arms of legalism. That's the law. To say it a different way, you've opted out of grace. You've clicked unsubscribe like an email you no longer want to get. And grace is really the hallmark of Christianity. Grace is the idea that God knew everything about you. All the sins you had committed, all the junk going on in your life right now, all the sins you will commit. He knew your deepest, darkest secrets, all your failures, and he chose you anyway. Grace is the idea that you did nothing to deserve your salvation. It was a free gift from God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if we then try to make ourselves right with God after already accepting the grace of Jesus Christ, it's like saying to Jesus, thanks, but no thanks. I'll take it from here. Now, do you think these folks realized that's what they're communicating to God? I doubt it. But that just shows you how sneaky and devious and dangerous and destructive this false gospel actually was. Paul continues. For in Christ Jesus, meaning once you're a Christian, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Neither matters. Neither impacts how God sees you because of Jesus Christ. To think about it a different way, it's like neither your you know, good performance or your bad performance has any impact at all in your standing with God. Now, that alone should lead to tremendous peace and balance in your life. I mean, that alone should eliminate the huge ups and downs so many of us struggle with when it comes to our relationship with God because for as much as we, and I'm speaking broadly here, but for as much as we know that we're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ, there's a part of us that still thinks our performance as a human, as a Christian, impacts how God sees us. There's a part of us that still asks God, how am I doing? God, I got circumcised. How am I doing? We good? Okay, good, good. Hey God, I started going to church. I didn't miss a single week in the last month. How am I doing? We good? Okay, good, good, good. God, you're not going to believe this one. You know that music we listen to in church? Yeah, it's pretty good. Started listening to it in the car. How am I doing? We good? God, I uh, messed up pretty good this week and um, sinned. How am I doing? Are we still good? You see, we may not struggle with the law, and we may not struggle with circumcision, but every single one of us has sprinkled something into our relationship with Jesus Christ that we think counts towards how God views us. And what Paul, through this letter, wants every single Christian in the world to know is that you and God are good. You're good. And if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, then you and God have been made right 
for good. God now views you through the lens of Jesus Christ. When he looks at you, all he sees is Jesus. It's like he's got, you know, Jesus glasses on or whatever. Jesus is between you and God. That's all God sees. You and God are good for the rest of your life. Remember this moment. For the rest of your life, you never need to worry about your standing with God because you and God are good because of your faith in Jesus alone. So Paul's like, folks, look, if you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, if you're counting on the law to make you right with God, if you're, if whatever it is that you're counting on to make you right with God, let me let you in on a massive truth. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's the only thing that counts. It's the only thing that is important. It's the only thing that matters is your faith in Jesus Christ expressing itself, working itself out in your love for other people. This is the only thing. And that's a game changer. And he continues. He goes, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? He's like, guys, what happened? You all were knocking out of the park. It was incredible. Pagans, you quit sacrificing. You walked away from your Roman gods. You were getting baptized. It was incredible. My Jewish friends, what happened with you? You had a massive appreciation for your heritage, but you knew, you knew, you knew that Jesus was doing something brand new. What happened to all you? I'll tell you what happened. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. So I've mentioned this a couple of times. I haven't talked about it in a while, but during quarantine, I found out that I'm really good at baking bread, okay? In fact, it would appear to be a spiritual gift of mine, okay? That and getting a good tan real fast, okay? Here's a picture of one of my creations. Look at this. Gaze upon this. Lust over this. Covet this. This is my bread. Let me just walk you through what you're seeing here. This is olive bread. Tremendous. Rosemary bread. Fantastic. I grew this rosemary myself. I made this fresh bruschetta myself. Olive oil. And pressed the olives, but I poured it in here, Okay. Here's why I show you all this. Um, listen, my bread will change your life, okay? <laughs> One day I'll bake some and we can all hand it out. Anyway, here's why I'm showing you this. About to give you my recipe too. All I need to create this masterpiece is eight grams of yeast. Just a half a teaspoon of yeast. And with eight grams of yeast, I can turn 800 grams of flour into this bread. And Paul is using this idea that it just takes a tiny bit of yeast to work its way through so much dough to show us that. It only takes a little bit of the wrong thing to corrupt the whole thing. Just a little bit of the old, just a little bit of the law, just a tiny bit of, how am I doing, God? Are we good? To pollute the whole thing and to get us Christians off track. Then he shows you how serious he really is about this. He goes, so then, what do we do about these troublemakers, right? These people who try to get others to be circumcised. Well, I wish they'd go the whole way. I wish they would cut everything off that marks him as men. Hi-oh, okay? He's like, listen, if you're going to start cutting, lop the whole thing off. 
Now, that's an image you'll never forget, right? Why don't we do inspirational scripture quotes with like this kind of thing, all right? That's why you got to read the Bible. It's great. He's like, listen, if you think circumcision is going to make you right with God, then chop the whole thing off. Be my guest. Here's the knife. Go have at it, all right? And Paul lands the plane. He brings it home. He wraps up this entire five-chapter argument that he's been presenting. And he says, you, my brothers and sisters, you are called to be free. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Because as humans, we hear free, we hear free from the law, we think free to do whatever we want. We think freedom to determine our own standards, free to live as we choose. The only thing more dangerous than legalism is license. And Paul's like, Jesus is not giving you a license to sin. In fact, if you're using your relationship with Jesus Christ to sin more, then you don't understand Jesus Christ. Rather, he would say, serve one another humbly in love. Why? For the whole law, the entire law, is fulfilled, is brought to completion in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You do this one thing, everything else falls into place. It's upon this one thing that everything hangs. And this is straight up Jesus stuff. Jesus one day said, love God, love your neighbor. Those are the two most important commandments and those are equally important. In fact, you can love God by loving your neighbor. So Christians, he would say, stop trying to get right with God because you and God are good. Now, start getting right with those around you. Because when we're right with others, we're right with God. That's why Paul could say, the only thing that counts, the only thing, is faith expressing itself through love. And when we get this right, we'll pray differently. When we get this right, we will see sin differently. When you start to get this right, your religious experience will be characterized by freedom more than anything else. And when we start to get this right, we will treat people better and love God in the process. So, what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week, we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. And so today, Paul showed us the dangers of blending theologies. He showed us how it can absolutely derail our understanding of our relationship with God. So I've got a question for you, and I, I ask this question myself all week, and it is really, it shined a light on a lot of things. So here's what I want you to think about today, this week, and forever. What's your special blend? What have you personally been sprinkling in to your relationship with Jesus Christ, to your journey with him? Are you someone who proclaims with your mouth the gospel of Jesus Christ, but your actions seem to be proclaiming a different gospel? Meaning, are you somebody who's actively doing things in your life to 
make God love you more? Are you someone who believes that if you mess up, God will love you less? If that's you, that's the old way that's still deep down inside of us. That's not the way of Jesus Christ. That's why I believe Paul would give all of us the same advice he gave to Christians 2,000 years ago. Stay free. You were made free by Christ. You were saved by grace. So be alert. Be on guard. Remind yourself that because of Jesus Christ alone, Jesus Christ alone, Jesus plus nothing, you and God are good forever. Now, go love your neighbor. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you've allowed this letter to be kept safe for all these years. Because the truths that Paul speaks about here, I believe, have such massive ramifications for every single one of us, God. Because for those of us in this room who who believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, Lord, that he, he is your son, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that because of him, we've been made good. I think there's a part of us still that believes we got to work our way to you. That our, that our behaviors can impact our salvation and how you see us, Lord. And I, and I pray that today, that through the words of Paul, that every single person in this room who knows your son as their savior could have a peace and a knowledge that you and they are good forever. And that because of your love and your free gift of salvation, Lord, that every single one of us can begin to show our love for you by loving those of us around us. Be with us today, Lord. We place all this in your name. Amen.